Letter four of letters written during a short residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. Letters written during a short residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. By Mary Wollstonecraft. Letter four. The severity of the long Swedish winter tends to render the people sluggish, for though this season has its peculiar pleasures, too much time is employed to guard against its inclemency. Still, as warm clothing is absolutely necessary, the women spin and the men weave, and by these exertions get a fence to keep out the cold. I have rarely passed a knot of cottages without seeing cloth laid out to bleach, and when I entered always found the women spinning or knitting. A mistaken tenderness, however, for their children, makes them even in summer load them with flannels, and having a sort of natural antipathy to cold water, the squalid appearance of the poor babes, not to speak of the noxious smell which flannel and rugs retain, seems a reply to a question I had often asked, why I did not see more children in the villages I passed through. Indeed the children appear to be nipped in the bud, having neither the graces nor charms of their age. And this, I am persuaded, is much more owing to the ignorance of the mothers than to the rudeness of the climate. Rendered feeble by the continual perspiration they are kept in, whilst every pore is absorbing unwholesome moisture, they give them, even at the breast, brandy, salt-fish, and every other crude substance which air and exercise enables the parent to digest. The women of fortune here, as well as everywhere else, have nurses to suckle their children and the total want of chastity in the lower class of women frequently renders them very unfit for the trust. You have sometimes remarked to me the difference of the manners of the country girls in England and in America, attributing the reserve of the former to be the climate, to the absence of genial sons. But it must be their stars, not the zephyrs, gently stealing on their senses, which here lead frail women astray. Who can look at these rocks, and allow the voluptuousness of nature, to be an excuse for gratifying the desires it inspires? We must therefore find some other cause beside voluptuousness, I believe, to account for the conduct of the Swedish and American country girls. For I am led to conclude, from all the observations I have made, that there is always a mixture of sentiment and imagination in voluptuousness, to which neither of them have much pretension. The country girls of Ireland and Wales equally feel the first impulse of nature, which, restrained in England by fear or delicacy, proves that society is there in a more advanced state. Besides, as the mind is cultivated, and taste gains ground, the passions become stronger, and rest on something more stable than the casual sympathies of the moment. Health and idleness will always account for promiscuous amours and in some degree I term every person idle, the exercise of whose mind does not bear some proportion to that of the body. The Swedish ladies exercise neither sufficiently. Of course, grow very fat at an early age, and when they have not this downy appearance, a comfortable idea, you will say, in a cold climate, they are not remarkable for fine forms. They have, however, most fine complexions, but indolence makes the lily soon displace the rose. The quantity of coffee, spices, and other things of that kind, with want of care, almost universally spoil their teeth, 
which contrast but ill with their ruby lips. The manners of Stockholm are refined, I hear, by the introduction of gallantry. But in the country, romping in coarse freedoms, with coarser illusions, keep the spirits awake. In the article of cleanliness, the women of all descriptions seem very deficient, and their dress shows that vanity is more inherent in women than taste. The men appear to have paid still less court to the graces. They are a robust, healthy race, distinguished for their common sense and turn for humour, rather than for wit or sentiment. I include not, as you may suppose, in this general character, some of the nobility and officers, who, having travelled, are polite and well-informed. I must own to you that the lower class of people here amuse and interest me much more than the middling, with their apish good-breeding and prejudices. The sympathy and frankness of heart conspicuous in peasantry produces even a simple gracefulness of deportment, which has frequently struck me as very picturesque. I have often also been touched by their extreme desire to oblige me when I could not explain my wants, and by their earnest manner of expressing that desire. There is such a charm in tenderness. It is so delightful to love our fellow-creatures, and meet the honest affections as they break forth. Still, my good friend, I begin to think that I should not like to live continually in the country with people whose minds have such a narrow range. My heart would frequently be interested, but my mind would languish for more companionable society. The beauties of nature appear to me now even more alluring than in my youth, because my intercourse with the world has formed without vitiating my taste. But with respect to the inhabitants of the country, my fancy has probably when disgusted with artificial manners, solaced itself by joining the advantages of cultivation with the interesting sincerity of innocence, forgetting the lassitude that ignorance will naturally produce. I like to see animals sporting, and sympathize in their pains and pleasures. Still I love sometimes to view the human face divine, and trace the soul, as well as the heart, in its varying lineaments. A journey to the country which I must shortly make will enable me to extend my remarks. Adieu. End of letter four.